Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that believes that unicorns fart glitter. He is the captain. It's not a belief. It's just science, my friend. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week we are drinking Gold Star Pilsner by the fine, fine people of Lancaster Brewing Company in beautiful, and might I add, well-kept Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Garage grade, three and a half bottle caps out of five. This is a classic Bohemian-style Pilsner that brings noble hop flavor and traditional maltiness into perfect union. It's July, it's hot outside, why not drink a beer that is crisp and refreshing? And Gold Star Pilsner was brought to us by these cool cats first up. We have Michelle and Pickles in Kent, Ohio. And also a shout out to Rebecca in Columbus, Ohio. Next up, we have Melissa in Grangeville, Idaho. And a big we like your jib to Truckin' Johnny in Superior, Wisconsin. Let's give a cheers to Richard in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And a big cheers, mates, to Canadian nurse Barbara. And a cheers to all the nurses. And last but not least, a shout out to Mike in New Jersey. And thanks to everybody for helping us out with this week's beer fund. If you want to help us out with next week, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And you want to check out truecrimegarage.com right now, go to the store page. We've got a couple fancy items for you. We have a beer koozie, finally. And we have a little tumbler, a little beer tumbler, or I guess you could drink some whiskey out of it. And we also have coffee mugs, finally. Finally, after 20 years of being on the air. All right, that's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
Well, it's a cold case, 25 years in the making, and the family of former Roarstown Elementary School teacher Christy Mirak is staying positive on the case. News 11's Holly Hare met with Christy's brother and has more from the emotional day. Holly? Shannon, emotional is just skimming the surface. You can imagine today is a difficult one to face for the Mirak family, but Christy's brother Vince met with me outside of the apartment where she was killed and is speaking out in hopes that this might bring the case to a close. It's been a long time since I've been here and um, it all looks the same. The trees have gotten bigger, but the building still looks the same and it's it's hard. It's really hard. The whole thing right here just is it just it's just it's eerie. It's been years since he stood within sight of his sister's apartment, but the pain of what happened there on this day 25 years ago remains the same. There's good days and there's bad days and today's not a good day. Despite his sorrow, it's Vince's mission to keep Christie's story at the forefront. And that's my whole point here. I'm here to, to give, you know, keep her face out there, keep her name out there, keep it alive. That hopefully in somewhere somebody comes out and gives us that bit of information that we need to get this solved. And he doesn't have to do it alone. You know, it's hard to believe it's been uh, almost 25 years. In November, the Lancaster County DA's office sent DNA from the case to Parabon Labs, a company specializing in DNA phenotyping. The investigators got tips that are following up on so hopefully we get some information on this and you know move forward. The results brought the Mirac family new hope for finding Christie's killer. Hopefully you know somebody jogs somebody's memory somebody looks like somebody I mean it's around the holidays where people are coming back to this area maybe somebody recognizes the person. Patience persistence and a brother's unconditional love. I I've never really given up hope. Good. Three things keeping the name Christy Mirac in the spotlight. Although still positive, Vince is hoping for a righteous end to this quarter-century-long saga. That's closure in my eyes. You know, she's never going to come back. We understand that. But as long as we can get someone that paid, you know, served justice for this, that, that would be good enough for us at this point. Today's case takes place in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Lancaster County has six suburbs located within its borders. East Lampeter Township is one of those suburbs. The township covers 21 square miles and has a population of approximately 16,000 people. East Lampeter is in what they call Amish country. The picturesque landscape has rolling hills and lush green grasses and crops. There are farms with windmills and, and horse and buggies sharing the roads with Cadillacs and Camrys. East Lampeter Township rate of violent crimes was and is extremely low. Here you have a better chance of colliding with a horse and buggy than getting robbed. This is a perfect combination of a little bit of city living with the landscape and the feel of country living. This most certainly is an ideal place to live, work, and raise a family. Christy Merrick decided this would be the perfect location for a young woman to start her professional life. Christy was lucky enough to find a nice three-bedroom townhouse and what she saw as a perfect location. This is the Greenfield Estates. Luck struck a second time when she found the perfect roommate to share her townhouse with, as well as the bills. Christy Merrick and her female roommate lived in a quiet development of townhomes located near a business park with a barn and a grain silo just steps away. This place could only be described as peaceful and quiet. 
If she steered clear of the horse and the buggies, she would be safe. At least that is what she thought. Now, 25-year-old Christy Merrick had wanted to be a school teacher for as long as anyone could remember. Heck, she had practically been rehearsing her whole life for her dream job. When she was little, she would play pretend school, and Christy's brother and sister were her first group of students. And Christy would always end up playing the role of the teacher. At school, Christy was the perfect student. She worked hard and received great grades. Her hard work paid off when she was accepted into Millersville University. Now, she didn't want to burden her parents with the cost of college, so she worked as a part-time waitress at a local country club. She also did some work as an assistant to a pharmacist at the Neffsville Pharmacy. This, of course, to help pay her way. Christy was a very positive person with a beautiful personality. Now, she worked these part-time jobs with the same great attitude that she applied in life. Uh Friends and coworkers would say that Christy was always happy and could easily make her surroundings better than before she had arrived. Kind of opposite of Captain Grumpy Pants. (laughs) Well, I think you're battling through something over there today. Yeah, it's it's either a cocaine addiction or allergies. The cat, the captain is uh, what they would refer to in sports as he he's playing, but he's about seventy five percent. Yeah, maybe sixty five. After graduating from Millersville University, Christy set out to make a difference. Her dream came true when she was hired as a sixth grade teacher at Roarstown elementary school located in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. She loved her students and the feeling was mutual. Her enthusiasm was contagious and she quickly became a favorite, not only with her students, but with the parents and other teachers as well. Now she was living her dream. The pay allowed her to do what 25 year old women want to do. She liked to have fun. And this included hitting some of the local night spots with her girlfriends Uh, Never to excess, though. She was not that kind of person. She was very concerned about safety as well. A young lady walking around drunk could be dangerous, so Christy knew better. Her father had advised her on ways that she could keep herself safe, and she followed his advice. She would have her keys out and ready when she was ready to leave. You know, she would park in different parking spaces at the townhouses where she lived. She would drive different routes home from time to time and she would never answer the door without asking several people or sorry, several times who was knocking, who's there. Right. Um, little safety tip here, captain go with a peephole instead of just shouting through the door. Yeah. So these were all practice precautions to keep her safe in her controlled environment on Sunday, December 20th, 1992, Christy spent the evening preparing gifts for her students. I think this kind of shows what kind of person and what kind of teacher she was. Uh, She was giving each child a copy of the book Miracles on Maple Hill. This is by by Virginia Swanson. Inside the front cover, Christy wrote the same message inside each book. And it stated something to the effect of wishing you a very Merry Christmas and a great 1993. Love, Miss Merrick. You know, like in one of the students, she wrote like, I hope you're not in my class next year or something. <laughs> like, you know, just one of them. Don't talk to me in 93. <laughs> yeah, in 93, we're not on speaking terms anymore. Well, she tied a little candy cane to each book to add a little Christmas decoration flavor. This this being described as very much in typical Christie fashion. 
After a good night's sleep, Christy was ready for the new week. She woke up, started her her day, and got ready to go off to work. Now, I want to kind of bring something up here. Studying this case and looking into this case brought back some memories for me, for grade school, middle school. And that week, you know, this is the week before you leave to go on on Christmas vacation. It's one of the best weeks of school. It's like the period. Be- it's the best school week. You don't really there's am I crazy or is there like the the work is a little less The work's it, a lot less. It seems a very relaxed and this it's is kinda, very similar to the week before spring break as well. Same and the end of the year. So it's like those are the three best I think times to be in elementary school or middle school. Well and even if you have a teacher that you disagree with um, the teacher's always in a very good mood that week because they know they're going to be off and not have to see you the following week, yeah, yeah. right? And then, and then you're in a good mood too as well because you're like, hey, I'm going on break. And when you're when you're a child, Christmas is like waking up in Disney World. So Christy woke up probably very excited for the week ahead, and she got ready to go off to work. Now Christy's roommate had left for work first on this day. And was already gone by the time Christy had put on her brown leather jacket and winter gloves. Do we know what her roommate did for a living? I do not know what she did for a living. Um, But the roommate is gone. And at this point, Christy is preparing the gifts. Remember, she has all these gifts to bring to school that day for her students. And she's preparing the gifts to be loaded into her car, placing them near the front door. She grabbed her keys and she started out the door and into the cold Lancaster County air. But just as soon as she felt the rush of cold air, someone had grabbed the door and pushed Christy back inside. The man entered her home, closed the door behind him, and tackled her to the ground. After Christy's roommate had left for work, Christy's attacker was just outside waiting for the sound of the door to open so he could push her in. By 9 a.m., Christy's sixth-grade classroom was full with the exception of Christy, the teacher. This was extremely unlike the young, hardworking professional. Rarely was she late to work, and rarely did she ever miss work. Even more strange, Christy had not called into the school's office to say that she would be late or absent that day. So her boss, the principal of the school, this is Harry Goodman, calls Christy's home looking for her. Now, the phone rings, but rather than Christy or her roommate picking up, the phone just rings and rings. At first, Principal Goodman just assumed maybe Christy was not picking up the phone because she had already left. She's on her way to work. And was still on her way to the school. But we have to keep in mind here, I have a feeling that even though her class is waiting for her at 9 a.m., that they've been waiting for some time. And maybe Christy had obligations before this 9 a.m., uh, time when he starts calling for her. Right. So he gives it another few minutes and he tries calling Christy again, but receives the same result. Nobody picks up the phone. Goodman opened up Christie's file and retrieved a phone number for Christie's mother. Goodman called Christie's mother and informed her that she had not arrived at school that morning and was asking if Christie had visited Shimokin. I believe that's how you pronounce that. That's where the mother lived that weekend. That is where Christie's parents lived, right? Right. So Mrs. Merrick informed the principal that Christie had not visited her in Shemokin that weekend and that the mother started to become very worried at this point. Yeah. But good for the principal for calling, you know, the emergency contact number. Yeah. So Mrs. Jerry Merrick 
is her mother. She started calling Christie's uh, East Lampeter Township townhouse. And just like when the principal had called, her daughter never answered. Right. So shortly after 9 a.m., Principal Goodman drives to Christie's townhouse. He arrives at approximately 9.15 a.m. He parked his car and he made his way up the sidewalk to her townhouse. When he gets to the front porch, he notices that the front door is slightly ajar. He lightly pushes with his hand and the door swings all the way open. This is not a good sign. No. And inside, Goodman finds Christie's motionless body lying on the living room floor. And the students' gifts are they're scattered throughout the room. Christie still had her jacket and her gloves on, but her underwear, pants, and shoes had been removed, and the clothing on her torso was pushed up. The police were called and arrived very quickly. Now, Principal Goodman had to call 911 from a neighbor's house, and when he ran out of Christie's townhouse, he closed the door behind him. And when the police arrived on the scene, they found the front door locked. So they were forced to break in to, to get to Christie. Okay. So Christie, unfortunately, was reported dead on police arrival. Well, it might have been one of those things where you lock the door from the inside and then she went to leave and that that's when she was attacked, bring her back into the, to the apartment. And then when the perpetrator left, they didn't shut the door mm-hmm. and the door is still locked. Yeah. So that's probably what happened. Well, detectives begin to scour the scene for clues. Immediately, they notice that there was uh, no signs of forced entry into the home. Here we have some options as to what may have happened here. And earlier, I said that the the attacker waited outside, waiting to hear the door open to push her in. Well, that's one option. That's kind of a bit of a creative avenue you have to go down to to tell a bit of a story. Right. But here we're at the point where we have to wonder how this individual may have got to Christie that morning. Um, Possibly you know, she knew the the perpetrator. Exactly. Did she let her attacker in? Was this someone she knew or was this someone she thought she knew? Maybe mistaken identity. Right. Um, did someone knock and she just opened up the door, which seems maybe unlikely when we have the brother and her father later saying that she would often call through the door. Who's there? You know, who, who is it multiple times to kind of confirm who it may be on the other side of the door? Well, it's such a weird time for attack too. I mean, you know, before 9 a.m. in the morning, I mean, early on a Monday morning. Yeah. Very, very odd. Started the work week for most people. And as we said earlier, was this a situation where someone had seen Christie's roommate leaving for work and then the attacker decides to make a move because of either A, believing that Christie is now alone inside the home and B, knowing she will go out the front door and walk out to her vehicle? How much did this attacker know about this situation? Right. But with without the force entry, it seems like the perpetrator knew Christy. Either knew her routine or knew her personally, yes. Right. So from what detectives could see, it looked as if she was assaulted almost instantly at the doorway. They found a shoe they found shoe scuff marks on the inside portion of the front door. They found scuffs and scrapes on the entryway floor, suggesting that Christy was dragged from the front entrance way to 
back inside of the the home into that front room. So she was hit with something. Well, let's go through this. It it, it appears that she would have been dragged. I don't know if she would have been tackled or hit before the dragging took place. There was a slash um, in the sofa slip cover. Uh And it was also noted that no furniture was overturned. So this was a scuffle, but it seemed pretty contained to this, to the front door area. So other than the books that were to be, to be gifts, right. Having been strewn about, there was not a lot of disturbance to the room or to the items inside the, the home where she lived. Right. Which makes it lean more towards. Uh, somebody that's physically bigger than her, somebody that could control her pretty easily, and you know, less likely somebody her equal size because you think there would have been more of a struggle. Right. Well, and a wooden cut a wooden cutting board was found near Christie's head. It was covered in blood, and Christie's face was distorted. She had been hit with this several times. Yeah. Merrick had suffered a, a brutal beating as well. And it appeared to detectives that she had fought hard and desperately for her life. A cutting board may sound like an unlikely weapon, but it, it, it seems on the surface to be a very unlikely weapon. However, as weird as it sounds, Captain, I've read several cases where a cutting board is used in an attack. Right. And I think why, because of several reasons. Okay. It's, this is a heavy object. And usually, not always, but usually, these cutting boards are kept on countertops. So So I'm assuming this was Christie's cutting board. I believe it to be, yes. I don't think that that an attacker is is bringing a cutting board as choice of weapon to the scene. That'd be a little strange. (laughs) Right. Why is he walking around with a cutting board? I feel like you could pick a, a dozen better weapons. Yeah, if you ever see somebody walking around with a cutting board, call the cops. Well, so here's my thoughts on this. Unless they're coming out of Pottery Barn. The other cases where I've seen a cutting board used in the perpetration of a, of a murder is, you know, it's readily available to the attacker if it's kept on the countertop. You know, if the attacker came into the, the scene unprepared or surprised when they could not overtake the person they, they were attacking... This is something that they might see on the countertop go for knowing that they could strike the individual and render them unconscious or knocking them to the ground and maybe kind of gain control of the situation. I think this is actually latter here though. I think it's almost like there was an attack that happened and the 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 blunt force trauma would have happened afterwards. Well, That's just my gut feeling. And I also this kind of the cutting board being used as a weapon almost is is the same reason why you see a kitchen knife often being used as a weapon, because it's, sometimes it's something that's in a knife block sitting on the countertop, and it's just something you see in the in the area that you go and grab and reach for right. during the course of an attack or a scuffle. Now, also sometimes the person that is being attacked, you know, when well, right, will grab something. Yeah, when they discover someone in their home, they grab whatever for defense and maybe she grabbed the cutting board and the attacker ends up taking it from them and using it against them. Right. Regardless, Christy suffered blunt trauma to her neck, back, upper chest, and her jaw was fractured. Her elbows and knees were very badly bruised. The cause of death was strangulation. 
After investigating the scene for almost three hours, the phone at Christie's home began to ring. An officer picked up the phone. It was Christie's mother, Jerry Merrick. She was... That's horrible for the mom, you know? Yeah. She, well, keep in mind, she's still worried because she's not heard from her daughter and she's not heard from principal goodman but that's the worst case scenario i mean you're trying to call your daughter at her apartment she's young she's a young professional she seems very dedicated to her job and to the children she's trying to teach trying to make the world a better place and you're calling just to see if she's okay and then a police officer answers the phone she's simply calling to to find her daughter to right to see if christy is okay to get in touch with her now the officer that picked up the phone told her that they needed her, Mrs. Merrick, the mother, to come to Lancaster. Mrs. Merrick asked why, what is wrong? Right. W- you know, was Christy okay? Was she hurt? Was she involved in, uh, you know, what was going on? And the officer would say no more other than there was an accident and Christy was dead. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer 
or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Welcome back. Cheers, mates. Welcome back to the Colonel and Dick Nose show. All right, Captain. Let's go through the investigation. Well, I just sound awful. I sound more awful than I normally do. You usually sound pretty good. Not today, my friend. Not, Not today. today. I said 75%. I think you're right, 65%. I Don't, sound like I have a bowl of soup in my nose. Uh, have another cup of coffee, and maybe we'll get you get you up, uh, up in the percentile a little bit. Yeah. So let's go through the investigation, because I think most will agree and it, that it looks like the police did a good job with this one. And our murderer... Well, he left evidence. He was not super stealthy when committing these crimes. So shall we start with eyewitnesses first or move to the physical evidence? Well, am I right in saying that it seems like the motive was the rape? 
Yes, it seems. I don't know that I would say 100% that the motive was the rape, but um, it's looking that way. It, it certainly looks like this is a personal crime. Right, um, but we're going to have we're going to have evidence. We're going to have at least evidence of semen yes. on the victim. Okay. All right. So let's go through eyewitness uh, evidence first, and then we'll get into the physical stuff. So neighbors say that they saw a car pull into a lot directly across from Christie's home. This was shortly after Christie's roommate left for work at approximately 7 a.m. Witness des- witnesses described the vehicle as a 1984 to 1991 Dodge Daytona or Turismo hatchback. It was either faded silver, dull gray, or faded white in color. Okay. The vehicle's distinguishing features included roll-up headlamps and black sunshades on the back window. Now, a man jumped out from the car and, according to these witnesses, was seen jumping out of the car and heading toward Christie's door. Police would later describe this man as Caucasian in his 20s, tall with an athletic build and sandy blonde or light brown hair, possibly in a crew cut. This, of course, according to the eyewitness statements that they gathered when talking to neighbors and canvassing the area. Okay. Police theorized at the time that Christie either knew the man or opened the door expecting to see someone else when he then forced his way inside. As we discussed earlier, the possibilities of how did this individual main to manage to get inside the home or get a hold of Christie at least. A neighbor heard a single scream at approximately 7.15 a.m. Now, no one claims to have seen this man leave. And I'm guessing, you know, leaving either Christie's home, the right. the front door, front porch area, or even leaving the lot across the way. Well, and also these townhomes, they're in a row. So there's multiple units. So you could see a man walking towards a unit, but you don't know exactly which unit that he went into. But now that you have a unknown a male heading towards those row of townhouses, then we could assume that this guy is probably the one that was the perpetrator in this crime. Yes, and although police initially proceeded under the assumption that Christie may have known her killer, they also didn't want to rule out the possibility of a random killing. Now, the medical examiner's findings were that Christie had been beaten, sexually assaulted, and strangled sometime between 6 and 8 a.m. that morning. Now, Remember, the roommate said that she had left the townhouse for work right around 7 a.m. Okay. So unless you suspect the roommate was involved in any way. Um, oh, we got set. Now it makes the window 7 to 8. Yes. We've, we've narrowed this attack and the murder to a very small window of about 60 minutes. All right. Let's go over the physical evidence. Well, you were exactly right, my friend. As you had stated earlier, the police did recover and catalog DNA from the murder scene. This was... DNA from sperm found on several areas of her body and clothing and also on a piece of the carpet immediately underneath of her. Now, for the investigation, as for tracking this guy down for that portion of the investigation, the Merrick family offered up a $10,000 reward for information in the case. Yeah. From what I could find, 
in the reports, it looks like initially three men were considered to be suspects by the police. So right away, we have some persons of interest, which we don't see that in every case that we cover. So this is this is good news if you're, you know. Uh, but again, the law enforcement was leaning towards the fact that she knew. Yes. You know, her attacker. So therefore, that kind of makes the, you know, we, we narrowed down the time frame, but we're now we're narrowing down this pool of individuals. Yes. So three men were considered to be suspects by the police initially, we believe. And this may have actually included Principal Goodman. Really? And the thought here is, okay, so and I want to be clear about this. The We know from the reports that they had suspected three individuals, three, you know, possibility that one of these three individuals had killed Christy Mayer. We have three douche canoes and a canoe. I can't say with certainty that law enforcement considered Principal Goodman to be one of these. But what I can say is in the public eye and in the media, it certainly looked like some people suspected he might be one of these possible suspects. Yeah, and in all fairness, you know, he, yeah, he called people. Uh, that's possibly to establish an alibi, but he he also found her. Uh-huh. And so therefore, that that's going to just, you know, create some red flags and some questioning whether you know whether or not he was involved at all. The person who finds the murdered victim should always be looked at as, as a suspect, right. in my opinion. And furthermore, to that effect, I think the public and the media were questioning why uh, he was so quick to go over to her home. Right. Um, and then the other thing was the police show up, and all of a sudden the door is locked. Right. And you kind of went over the logistics of that, that possibly it may have been set to be locked before the principal even went into the apartment. Right. And then the act of closing the door behind him when he runs over to get a phone to call 911, I actually find that to be an honorable act on two levels. One, if I'm a detective, I'm like, cool, this dude helped preserve the crime scene in a small manner by closing right. the door. And, and and furthermore, it's, you know, the way that her body was left, right. it's not something that, you know, it's, she was left in a way that was, that was degrading to her and for her, for him to close the door, to have the, the forethought to close the door as a sign of respect to his colleague, I think was a simple, nice gesture. Well, and what of a, what a mensch of a guy, because he's at work, he's a principal and She's young. She yeah, she has a roommate, but she lives with another female and he probably felt protected of protective of her on some level. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, you call at nine o'clock and then by nine fifteen, you know, he could have just had a gut feeling that something's not right. And I, I just think what what a good, what a guy for going over and and you know, caring about his employees. Well, and not only that, you know, time of death was believed to be between 6 and 8 a.m. And as we've discussed several times on this show, specifically when we discussed the Aurora Hammer Slayer case, you know, it's not just so easy that, like you see on TV where they walk up, they they stick something in the body, they take its temperature, and they go, well, the time of death was 7.13. Right. You know, it's they are going off of body temperature. They're using other determining factors to come up with that time frame. However, a lot of times, and, and and what we see here is what we 
can infer when we look at these cases is sometimes these individuals are supposed to, meaning the victim, were supposed to have been somewhere or been with someone at a certain time. And when they do not arrive at that location or they do not meet that person, well, we can assume that they were either in danger or already dead by that time. So here's my guess. When they say 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., is there a chance that she was supposed to be at school around 8 a.m.? And because she was not seen at that time, then, okay, she may have already been in trouble or she was already murdered by that point. Yeah, because some some teachers have like early morning duties. They can sign up for that. I think they get paid a little extra. Not really for sure, but where you get there, why the buses get there. So you have to be there probably half half an hour to an hour before most of the other teachers. So where we see Principal Goodman here and people questioning why he was so quick to go over to Christie's home, well, my thoughts are two things. One, Christie lived only about 10 minutes from the school. So we're not talking about like this guy went way out of his way, first of all. Second of all, we're talking about a situation where it's very likely she was supposed to have been there at 8 a.m. Right. This guy waited an hour. It's not like he's sitting there at the front door. Like, what is that? Uh, Back to the Future, where the principal's like right by the front door waiting for Marty McFly to be two seconds late. I think that's Ferris Bueller's day. Ferris, off. my bad. But you see what I'm saying? It's not like this guy is sitting there right by the front door looking at his watch and, and she's two minutes late. He hops in his, his car and drives over to her house. Right. I, he doesn't look suspicious to me at all, but like like you said, the person that finds the body, you have to look at. You got to look at him. You mm-hmm. got to look at him. There were several teachers that had had a long working relationship with Principal Goodman and they just said that's who he was. You know, he was, he was not just our boss. He was like a part of the team. He was a friend. He was a colleague. He was somebody that would go to bat for the people that worked at his school. He considered it a community, uh, of people working together to educate these children. Yeah. Cheers to all the teachers and my, my sister's teacher, a lot of family members are teachers. I mean, that's a job. Cheers to the educators. There's other people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But you know, it's a. (laughs) I'm sick, leave me alone. I'm not I'm not actually sick. I actually feel fine. I just sound like shit. Well, I'll tell you what. Okay, so now we know we do know that there are reports of three possible suspects early on in this investigation. Yeah. Now, you and I both agree Principal Goodman, whether he was considered to be one of those three or not, he doesn't look suspicious to you and I. Agreed? Well, right. And think about his last name. He's Goodman. Goodman. How it's could not, he have done it? Not principal bad man. The individual, there is an individual that does look very suspicious. So this included the, of the three suspects, we do know that this included a man that investigators believed was having, uh, behaving very strangely almost immediately after the murder. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the day after Christie was killed, a 45 year old man named Ken Lockoff showed up at Christie's school. Now, I'm unclear as to his reasoning for being at the school, meaning meaning this. What I'm not sure of was, did he show up there looking for Christy or asking what had happened to her? Right. So regardless, we do know that he shows up at her work and he's asking about her. I don't know if he's asking for her or if he shows up saying, does anybody know what happened to Christy? Right. Did they date or something? Well, get this. So so here's what's going Check on. this out mother he was he was briefed on what had happened to her the day before right 
And shortly after being briefed, he left the school, but later he called the school twice that same day. Later, this man was observed at Christie's funeral. When investigators started looking through Christie's private life and digging through her past, Mm -hmm. they discovered that this man was having an extramarital affair with Christie. So this Ken Lockoff was a significantly older married man that Christy Merrick has, she was discreetly dating this guy. Part-time lover. Well, police round this guy up. They go and they get Ken and they bring him in and they talk to him. Now, police would later say that Ken fully cooperated with the police and their investigation into Christy's murder. This meaning he answered all of their questions. He passed two polygraph tests. And he submitted his DNA, which later cleared Ken from their suspect list. Well, but that's how you do it, right? I mean, he he showed up because he cared about her. He showed up trying to get answers. Then when the police come knocking on his door, he's like, hey, full cooperation. I'll answer all your questions. I'll lie detector. I'll take two. I'll take two. Give me two of those. That's funny. I tell you what, though. Here's the thing. My just Just my humble opinion. I would avoid the lie detector at all costs. Okay. Even if I, I'm innocent. I agree, except for in this case. You know why? Because we have DNA. That's right? true. So I'd go, okay, I'm submitting you my DNA. Let's take the lie detector. I get now, That makes sense. Now, and also, you know how this works. When they give you the lie detector, they'll say, okay, we, we, ask, we ask the colonel 12 questions. Three of them he was well, a little iffy on. Right. Right. So, but I think if there's DNA and you know that you didn't do this, submit the DNA, you know. Well, know, yeah, that's the other the thing light. too. I don't, I don't want to play your, your, your games and do the monkey test. Let's, here's my DNA and let's get this over with. And mm-hmm. If there were no DNA, uh, this is just my opinion. I would never take a polygraph test because it, especially if I'm innocent. And the reason being is, as the suspect, you have nothing to gain because even right. if you, let's say you pass it, it's not admissible in the court of law. Right. So like, Oh, I got an a plus 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 on my polygraph test, but we can't tell anybody in court that. Well, oh, right. I, I mean, if you look at the West Memphis three case, I mean, Jesse, miss Kelly passes a lie detector and then, then confesses to the murder. Well, and what and, I'm, and, and if the cops even believed in this, idea of a polygraph then you'd go oh well here's this guy that clearly told us the truth now he's telling us a lie he needs to stop telling us a lie so i I agree with you there's nothing good that can come from right you can only lose out of it right and the other thing too especially in a situation like this where like you said he shows up on the scene caring about her asking questions about her i understand he's having an extramarital affair that doesn't mean he's not in love with her and furthermore, he cooperates in the investigation. That also shows one, he's innocent; two, that he cared about her. And what I'm what I'm getting at here is referencing something that John Douglas educated me on through through his books was stating that sometimes, especially with a husband or a wife, uh-huh. when you question them about a child or a loved one, you know their 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 spouse or another loved one's death you have there's a certain bit of survivor's guilt there's also especially with a husband there's this there's kind of this ingrained thing in our dna where we're supposed to protect our families right 
And when a family member dies, we and, and probably ingrained in well ingrained wife, in everybody. Uh, well, you know, for the children. I'm go- I'm yeah. going off of referencing Douglas's words though, right. where he states that you know with with a husband in particular that that you could get false false positives, meaning false positives of Guilt. signs of deception right, right, right. during the test because even though the the husband had nothing to do with the death of his wife or the murder of his wife, he still feels guilty for not having protected her from what happened. Right. So this is one of those situations where I feel like it's just a, it's a lose, but congratulations to Ken for being forthcoming and helping out in the investigation. And like we've said many times, captain with a lot of these cases, when we look at things, it's hard to sit down and just, just solve something, especially, you know, for the police, maybe for you, they can't just sit down and solve something, but if they can cross something off their list, if they can, if they can strike something from the list, from the list of possibilities, they can start to hone in on different things and angle the investigation, and maybe it leads you to the answer. For everything True Crime Garage, check out truecrimegarage.com. Also, make sure you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at True Crime Garage. And we want to see you right back here in the garage for the conclusion of the Christy Merrick case. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.